Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We just want to thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. One more day in the land of the living. One more day to serve you. One more day to praise you, to proclaim your word. We come under the blood. We come under the mighty hand of your Holy Spirit. And we surrender ourselves, Lord, into thy hands. Speak this morning, Lord. Teach us. Continuously teach us your ways and show us your paths, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We'll go to Nehemiah chapter 4 and verses 1 to 6. We are looking at Nehemiah and Judges. So it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes upon it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out of, out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we build the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had mine to work. So we came through three chapters. Remember chapter three is summing up what they did. So chapter four, the events does not happen after chapter three. Chapter three is actually talking about how the work was done. Okay, so four, when you read four, remember four is before three. Okay, in that way. So we see how God uses individuals, one man, touched by the burden of God and the state of God's city and the plight of God's people. We saw that in Nehemiah 1 and how he prays, he fasts, he moans, he prays and at the appointed time God touches the heart of the king. He has favor with king He and he comes all the way to Jerusalem, and that's where it all begins. And there, when he begins, we see in 2.19, these three primary enemies are identified. Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arab. They laughed, they despised, and they challenged. Okay, so we saw on the pastor's conference, which many people would not have tuned into, that these three represents, if Nehemiah is like, we see types of Christ everywhere. If Nehemiah is a type of Christ, then uh, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem are types of the enemies that we face. Where Sanballat represents, 
his name in in so many ways it could be interpreted as somebody who hates in secret okay and that is hates in secret not openly satan will never come to a man and tell you i hate you god and i hate you you won't do that he pretends you are he's your best friend but his hate hatred is in secret he's against all the plans of god so he represents a type of satan who hates god and his people like tobiah is with sanballat and his name means yahweh is god or jehovah is god okay yet he's on the other side so he is a type of our flesh he's with me but he's against me <laughs> he's with me he's with the devil okay he's with the devil he's not with god or with me he's with the devil so our flesh he aligns with the devil okay that's why there is no answer to the flesh is put to death is okay put to death it's easier to put to death the world than to put to death your flesh because it's your flesh and then gesham is there the arab which means tangible material okay so he represents the world so you have these three coming together sanballat tobaya and gesham the three enemies primarily we face and when they succeed the result of it is a sin when it is full grown it brings death okay sin is not our enemy sin is a result of when our enemy succeed in our life the result of it is sin we fall short of god's glory okay so that's that's what we were looking at and so that's why we named it the gospel according to nehemiah because you see christ and the message through through the scriptures and then we saw the gates he was building in chapter 3 is all about the gates are identified and the order is given incredibly by the spirit of god only because otherwise we just skip over it is okay it's this is history it's not history it's spiritual so we have the sheep gate the fish gate the ancient gate the valley gate the refuse gate the fountain gate the water gate the horse gate the east gate and finally the inspection gate and god takes you through these gates and begins with the sheep gate we enter the kingdom of god through the blood of jesus okay that's where the sheep comes through and and at the end by the time we come to the inspection gate it's a full circle we have come back to the sheep gate what does it mean that our salvation is by faith unto faith grace by grace only by the blood of jesus no man when he stands before god okay will ever boast it was entirely the work of god my works are there but that is a work of faith is the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end okay so what you need is this is what you happen when you listen to crackpots and go green your windmills or oh no, our power or whatever that freezes and then you okay you you need to have backup you need to realize this green idea does not work everywhere and when exigencies come at least 20 people have already died frozen to death okay and accidents and all you need to realize when you go green you no know, solar panels and wind all are good they are clean but the problem is what happens when there is no sun what happens when these things freeze okay so we need to have backup go slowly transit slowly don't be a radical in your change when it comes to environment environment doesn't work with you you have to work with it <laughs> okay 
go slow and steady. I understand there is a transition, but like we said in the old song, make new friends, keep the old. One is silver, the other is gold. Figure out which is gold. Firewood is gold, the oldest. Okay, when everything fails, firewood is still there. Okay. So, you have to persevere. You have to go through these ten gates. We looked at six gates, or I don't know, on Sunday, uh, Saturday, fastest conference, I don't know how many, four gates or something. Valley gate, I think. Valley gate. So, we only we looked at four gates. Next month, when we will finish the six gates, we will finish. But here, in certain meetings, we have taken more. So, I'm not going into the gates. But remember... From the book of Isaiah, we saw what are we actually building, the spiritual message. We are building the walls of salvation and we are putting on, hanging on the gates of praise. Whatever we go through, at every gate, there is praise. People go out with praise and enter with thanksgiving. Okay, with thanksgiving and praise because we know God is in control and we are victorious. So the whole idea is perseverance. The whole key is pers- can we persevere through this building project. So we have Sanballat there in four one, Nehemiah four one. We have the type of Satan. He's there. Okay. So it happened when Sanballat heard we were rebuilding the wall. Whenever the devil hears anybody rebuilding the walls of salvation, your personal life, in your home, in your church, in a nation, he gets mad. As long as you're not building the walls of salvation, he's okay. But if you start building that pertains to the kingdom of God, then he he comes after you. And remember, the first line of attack is always at the mind. The first line. You look at, we can see, the enemy does not attack your body first. He attacks your mind first. Because if he can win your mind, he can leave your body alone. Okay, not that he leaves your body alone, he'll take your body down, but it is mind. Even if he attacks your body and your mind doesn't go, you know, he still hasn't. That's what happens in persecuted churches. He still does not win. They torture their bodies, but their minds is focused, stayed on God. So the first line of attack is the mind. When you're building the wall, because what does Romans 12, 2 says? What does he want? Do not be conformed to this world. <clears throat> the world is, you see, the Bible says very clearly in 1 John 5.19, the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one, wicked one. So what does he want? He wants us to conform to this world. See, the devil is the one who originated cancel culture. Okay? You don't listen to us. Okay, listen to me and confirm I will cancel you. That's what he's trying to do. He's going to cancel Nehemiah's building project. Okay? Okay? One man built a wall, another man is opening it, the wall up, everything, and is letting everybody in. Americans are waiting to get vaccinated, the illegals are getting vaccination first. Americans do not have the freedom to move in their own nation, while the illegals are freely allowed to know, check up, nothing at all. So you need to understand, you conform, we will do what we want. Conform to this world, okay? Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it is the mind. Remember, it is the mind. The attack is at the mind. Okay, attack. And we know, <clears throat> Apostle Paul said that in Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. We have to go back. The first line of defense, remember, is your mind. If you, if you win in your mind, you will win everywhere. But if you lose in your mind, you will lose ultimately. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. They are not carnal. Casting down arguments and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought. So you see over there, there are, yeah, yeah, there are three things over there. So there are three things mentioned over there. If you look at it, thought, arguments, and imaginations. All these are battles of the mind. Every thought, okay? That's why he attacks our thought life. That's why in Ephesians 6 and verse 17, we are called to put on firmly the helmet of salvation. If you like, you know, if you want to look at the physical picture, which is a big spiritual picture, we, we looked at the first heaven and the second heaven and the third heaven. And if you're looking in terms of heaven, the, the part of my body that touches heavens first is my head. Okay, that's where he attacks first. That's where he attacks fight. He bites your feet only if you trample upon him. Those who don't trample upon him, he doesn't bite your feet. But he goes after your mind. Okay, that's your head. Put on, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. You need to have both control your thinking with the word of God and fight him back with the word of God. So you will realize, we know the methods of the enemy, we will learn how to build. Okay, he comes after your mind. And what does he do? He threatens, okay? One of his most efficient weapons is the weapon of fear, okay? He paralyzes God's people from serving God, okay? He will target our weaknesses. Look at how he said, he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews and he spoke before his brethren and the army of Summary and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Feeble Jews doing, okay? But we have to learn to turn our weaknesses into strength. Okay, he knows our weaknesses. He knows our weaknesses. He's, he's aware of it. But the problem is, there are two things he uses here in this first thing. One, he uses fear. We have heard enough about fear. That's his intimidation tactics, okay? And what does he do? He will use ridicule. And you need to understand, people will go to great lengths to escape ridicule. Okay, it's great. That's why the, the generations try to gel in with the crowd, because they are not able to handle ridicule. They cannot. And it will start. It's, 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 even from play school it begins. Because, you know, this, unconsciously this thing about trying to conform into, into, that's why even play school had to bring in uniform and try to start giving lunch and all at school because kids will start even comparing each other as tiffins. You know, they'll start comparing and they will start mocking. Oh, you only brought this. Look at mine. Everything, you know, you have to realize how strong this spirit is that he will try to ridicule. But both fear and ridicule for us to buckle under it are not options, are not options. Okay, that's what the, the Nebuchadnezzar does. He makes a statue and he says, bow, and then he lights up a fire and he says, if you don't, this is what will happen to you. This is what happened. Fear is there. Radical is there. Intimidation is there. But we cannot bow before either because we are called not to stand in with the world but to stand out in the world and build the walls of salvation. 
while this is a struggle for us while unlike the hamaya rama this is a spiritual picture not the physical picture while genuinely loving our neighbors nehemiah doesn't have to do that okay that's why the old covenant they were not uh, they didn't have to do that new covenant is a different thing in old covenant they kill their enemies in the new covenant you die for your enemies so it's a different grace all together okay and you will see they will come what are these feeble jews doing will they fortify themselves what are they doing they are mocking them in second peter chapter 3 verse 3 and 4 the bible says in the last days yeah 3 knowing this first that scoffers will come in the last days there will be always scoffers walking according to their own lusts what will they say where is the promise of his coming for since the fathers fell asleep all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation everything that the world is doing they are actually scoffing and mocking god mocking and sanbalats are there always mocking he has no regard for jerusalem which is the city of god where god has put his name and they are trying to do something to regain the glory and the name of god so the devil will always come and mock the church and god's people and especially because you will say oh, where is the second coming what are you all getting ready of oh, this holy holy people what are you preparing for what is all this talk about righteousness and holiness and all what is it when i say come the scoffers will be there the mockers will be there but the same god in verse galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 says god will not be mocked you do not be deceived god is not mocked okay so sanvalat may mock nahamaya but god will not be mocked what sanvarmalat sows he will also reap so we have to handle fear we have to handle ridicule and not buckle under remember ridicule is a big thing it's a big thing if you handle fear the next thing is the the next thing the devil will use he will mock we go back to nehemiah chapter 4 the third thing that he will use when you are trying to build okay he will <coughs> will they offer sacrifices hmm? will they fortify themselves will they offer sacrifices will they complete in a day will they revive that stones from heaps of rubbish stones are burned one sentence he uses four wills he's casting doubt will you will you will you will you will you or can you can you can you can you okay and that's the that's the first line of attack in the garden of eden to cause a doubt in the in the infallibility of god's word or the ability of god's word what he has said he causes doubt so there is fear there is ridicule and then there is he causes doubt remember they all come together okay now before the fall there was no ridicule or fear so the first line of attack is doubt because they are not afraid and they are not mocked because they are walking in their innocence uh, which in which god has created them so he cannot intimidate them he cannot mock them so he has to create doubt first but after we have fallen he will try different tactics he will use fear he will use ridicule and he will hear his he will see that he causes doubt four times will they will they will they will they okay he causes okay he challenges them and he causes doubt and doubt once the doubt starts creeping in you start going down you start going down okay many people do not work at the building the walls of their salvation is because they always doubt whether they are saved 
How can you build something when you doubt whether it is real or not? Many people do not prepare for the second coming of Jesus Christ and eternity because they really doubt whether he will come in their lifetime. Well, every generation thought they were coming in his lifetime. Even Paul and Peter and all it, towards the end, they decided, okay, he's not coming. But they were always preparing. Okay, So he causes doubt. He will always cause the doubt. What's the point in doing all this? What are you going to get? That's what Job's wife says. What's the point of holding on to your integrity? And what did he get out of it? Okay, cause. So you will see he causes doubt in Matthew 21 and verse 21. And Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, is the key. Okay. I have faith. That's that's a, a boy's father. I believe, but I help my unbelief. I have faith and I have doubt. And we all have it. We have faith and doubt. It goes together. And the thing is that we have to battle our doubts. Instead, we battle our faith. Instead of battling with our faith, we battle our faith instead of battling our doubt. We have to fight our doubt. Jesus said, if you believe, and do not doubt. And everything in the world, everything in the world is tuned to cause doubt in the word of God, what God has said. Right? Nehemiah has seen the good hand of the Lord was there. I fasted, I prayed, and he's looking at it. Nehemiah hasn't heard any audible voice or a prophetic voice. So they are in captivity. But he looks at how things has happened and he's able to see the divine hand of God in everything. Sometimes God doesn't speak to us in that way. But we see the hand of God working it out. And when we start doing this, we are absolutely sure the hand of God is over there because he speaks to the written word alone, confirms through a message, but there's no prophetic voice, there's no order, the spirit of God confirming through anything, but you know the hand of God is where things are all falling into place. And then the enemy, and when you start building, the enemy comes. The enemy comes, and he starts to cause doubts, okay? And then what happens? You start losing your vision, because doubt is a dream or a vision killer. Imagine at any point during those 13 years, Joseph had started doubting the word of God that had come to him in the form of two dreams. Okay, He held on to it. His brothers mocked him. His father doubted him. And then they sold him. He sold as a slave. From the slave, he goes into a dungeon. But only thing he has to hold on to is what the word of God He had two promises he gave, same. Two promises, meaning two dreams. Because the mouth of two witnesses, everything shall be established. God did not give him one. He gave him two. And that's all he had. Okay? We know that portion well. Psalm 105, verse 17 to 19. Okay? He has to battle doubt every day. Every week, every month. He sent a man before them. But how did he send them? Who was sold as a slave. The hurt is feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. Now look at verse 13. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. What is he battling those 13 years? It's doubt. The last two years must have been terrible when he thought his breakthrough. See, he has not understood what the dream meant. He has never even his wildest imaginations thought he would be the governor of Egypt. He had no clue about that. He did not know that was God's plan. 
So even in the prison, he is thinking about, okay, I'm going home. And I will go back and I will settle and I will prosper as a son of Jacob. But the word of the Lord is testing him. And he's holding on to his vision without. And that's what Paul also says. He goes through everything a man can think, think of going through trials. But he tells King Agrippa, I have not forgotten. Yeah. I, yeah. He, basically he says, I never doubted the call of God upon my life. Okay. And the call of God upon our lives is what will be attacked. Nehemiah has a call of the king and the call of God upon his life. And he never doubts it. It's resilient, okay? If you receive a call, I'm not talking about ministry, anything that God has asked you to do, remember the devil will come after it and God will allow the devil to come after it to see whether you will stand on the word of God. You will hold on to your promise. So there is, there is, so if, because if the devil can cause doubt in what God has spoken to us, he has one. He has one. Okay, he has one. So fear, ridicule, doubt ultimately will lead to demoralization or discouragement. And you know what happened? Everything is okay? Three people looking into one screen, that's why. Okay. Okay. And the people just give up. People just give up. Okay, when these things start happening, what people just give up, give up, and when people give up, it is terrible. Hmm? Marriages fail because both spouses give up. Churches fail when the leadership and the congregation give up. Nations fail when the leadership and the people give up. Okay, and that's what happens. And if you look at it, there is a way where people give up. There is fear, there is intimidation, there is ridicule, and there is doubt. And then you slowly, you start just falling apart. Okay. Psalm 118, on the other hand, is a psalm of resilience of a man that refused to give up in spite of all the odds. He refused to give up. Verses 10 to 17. It's a, it, it's, remember, it's a messianic psalm. 10 to 17. Okay, the Bible says, all nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me, yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. This is the natural response to Sanbhala. Will they, will they, will they, will they, your response is, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy you. In the name of the Lord, I will destroy you. They surrounded me like bees, they quenched like a fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. Yes. You push me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live. And declare the works of the Lord. It keeps on talking about the right hand of the Lord because it is actually a picture of Jesus himself. He was mocked and ridiculed at every point. If you come to verse 22, at the end of his life, everybody is against him. He is intimidated, fear, ridiculed, but he still does not doubt. What does it say? The stone which the builders rejected has become chief cornerstone. 
He's talking about Jesus. He, he was the person. He was the person. And ultimately, you know what? Even his father turned his face away from him. Still, he did not love, allow doubt to take over. He still trusted his father's word. Okay? And it's absolute darkness. The father and the son, the connection is lost. Yet when he dies, he says, into your hands, I give my spirit. So Jesus refused to give up. In so many ways, that's what Job is also echoing, which he says, even though you slay me, yet I will serve you. Okay? That's why we have to be fortified with the word of God and the ways of God. Nehemiah 4, 2 again. No? What are these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Yes, we are feeble. We are weak. We are weak. We are not strong. We don't have the strength of the world. Okay? And we cannot rely on the strength of the world. If we rely on the strength of the Lord, then the Lord is against us. Okay? And if you are leaning on God, we can only lean on God, the right hand of God. That's why the term right hand of God, right hand of God, right hand of God. And the mockery is this. What are these feeble? Can they fortify themselves? And we need to realize, yes, I can. In what? I fortify myself with the word of God. That is my strength. And I fortify and allow through faith the grace of God, the power of God. The problem is the words of Sanbalat we hear all the time, all around. And the problem is because it has succeeded, most of the church have assimilated into the world. They just disappear. And there is no difference between the world and the church. Why? Because they simply do not have the strength to resist the words of Sanbalat. Like the pastor says, no? Uh, skinny jeans, big screens, and, and fog machine. That's today's church. That is. Okay, because simple, that's a church in Laodicea. The Laodicea has no, they think they are strong, they think they are rich, they think, but God says you are not. You are good for nothing. You are good for nothing, church, he says. And you don't even know how close you are about to spit you out of my mouth. On the other hand, to the other church, in Philadelphia, he says you are weak, but you are strong. You have held on to my word. You have fortified yourself with my word. And you have not denied my name. Okay, see, so understand through these pictures, you will see the devil has never changed his ways. You go through the book of Judges. You go through any book of the Bible. The devil's methods we can see. We identify it and we look at God's solutions and we use the solution. It will work every time. Every time it will work. And that's what he's saying. What are these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifice? Oh, you have come, you are offering sacrifices. Look at your church. One little four old room and with a thatched hut and ten people sitting there with one ching ching. You are offering sacrifice. Come and see our temples. Come and see our gorgeous structures. It is a sacrifice. You know, they mock you. They mock you. Even the way where we go for Greenfield, there's a small little church, one room and pastor. Ten people sitting over there, sit on the floor. And nobody will look at them. What are these people doing? Is this sacrifice? Is this sacrifice? Because they don't understand. Okay, Look at them. Will they fortify themselves? And what does he say? What are these feeble Jews? The devil picks on our weakness. Don't give in to him. Okay? Don't give in to him. Because, you know, sometimes he's, he speaks the truth in an inverted way. If you understand 
That's the reason why God picked us. God did not pick us because we were strong. If you go to First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 29, we are feeble Jews. Yeah, you're true when you say that. I am feeble. But my strength, for you see a calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And when the, when the devil comes and says, you know what, you are so feeble, are you going to? And you realize, oh, for once he spoke the truth. <laughs> you know, actually I am feeble. M- maybe that's why God picked me, if you don't understand. Scripture, we will take his lie and says, oh my gosh, I need to get strong, otherwise I cannot build. Feeble people are not used by God, only strong people. And we don't understand scripture. We don't understand scripture. Because scripture is the other way. God is looking for feeble people, weak people, so his strength can be perfected in them. He doesn't want strong people. He doesn't want strong people. And this is the, this is his picture throughout the Bible. And the problem is, we are always trying to strengthen ourselves in the ways of ways of the world. You know? That's why God looked at the people Jesus picked as his disciples. They were all simple people. And they never, you know, they never changed their ways. But today look at the church. If you look at the way they are dressed, I'm not talking about in a suit and this thing and all, but if you look at the princes of the church as they are called in purple and with thrones and with crowns and everything. You know why? Because they want to be like the world. They want to be like the world. And the degrees are all put D, D, B, D, C, D, A, B, C, D. Everything is put across over there. One title on this side and all this thing, no? We have just become like the world. Just, no, no. Imagine what would be Peter's visiting card. Ex-fisherman. No? Matthew's visiting card. Ex-tax collector. What do they have to say? Nothing. They have only one thing. Walked with Jesus. Filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the only this thing they have. And ultimately that was what was recognized. They had no credentials. They had no credentials. And if you had a credential like Moses, he had to be taken, the credentials had to be taken out of him. And God knows he's ready when he says, I can now speak near the past or now. God says, fine, you're not relying on your worldly credentials. And that's what the Bible is talking about. And we have to be Careful about these things when the mocking comes. When the mocking comes, don't succumb to the enemy's lies. Enemy's lies. Oh, I need to go and for this thing. No, I need to become like that. No, go back to God and say, you are my strength. You are my shield. You are my salvation. You are my fortress. You know, Lord, beside thee, I need nothing. I need nothing. But with you, I can do all things. And Paul will come back to that. And he says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus. And then you go over there, he says, Will they revive uh, the stones from heaps of rubbish, stones that are burnt? Which is true. There is rubble and rubbish all around. And the problem is sometimes that's unburnt stones. And that's sometimes that's all you have got to work with, nothing else. The question is, can they be revived? 
Can you revive this burnt stone? Look at all the people who have come into our church. Are all burnt stones, except for a few. Most are burnt stones, you know. Once I used to be thinking I have only widows and single mothers. Now when I look and say, I've got so many single fathers. I have full orphans, widows, single mothers, and now single fathers. The number is increasing. You know what's happening? All are burnt stones. And you look at them and you ask this question, how can you build a church with this? How can you build a church with this? How can you build a church with it? We want whole people, nice people, solid people, solid families and solid children with solid jobs. And God says, no, I'm giving you burnt stones. And they have come with a lot of rubbish. Lot of rubbish. They have come. This is what I give you, the raw material I am giving you. What are you going to do that? God says, remove the rubbish and use those stones. Use those stones. Rebuild. Rebuild. No, we have to look at the pictures because otherwise we will look like the world. You know? I mean, we will, our church, our churches will become like an interview board. An interview board, what are they looking for? The best to build their company. God doesn't do that with the church. The gospel is preached to the poor. The weak, the blind, the lame, those who cannot walk, those who cannot really see, who have no strength to take care of themselves. And God sends these people and he puts a Nehemiah in charge of them and he says, use these people and build. This is your raw material. Raw material. Okay. Now we are not looking at the builders, we are looking at the spiritual picture. What has God, God given to us? No. What is that God does? Because there is a rubble. And that's all we have to work with. And God says, will you persevere? The challenge is always there. Look at what God Jesus worked with. Look at that 12. No company ever will pick that 12 for any position. Never, ever pick that 12 for any. And God doesn't give up on them. They ran away. They betrayed him. And God comes back to them and says, I can revive you. Not a problem. I can still use you. I can start all over again. Right? So there is the same question God asks in Ezekiel 37, 1 to 3, you know? 1 to 3. The hand of the Lord came upon me, brought me down in, in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. It was full of bones. He caused me to pass by them all around. Behold, there were many in the open valley and they were very dry. Bones and dry bones. It's not just bones. You see when um, Samson killed those Philistines, it was not a dry bone. It was a fresh bone. Okay? This is a dry bones. And you look at that. Sometimes when you look at churches, absolutely dead men walking. And all dry. And God says, son of man, can these bones live? And he said, oh Lord, you know. Can they live? Can you work with this and rebuild? And they got so much rubbish in their lives. Rubbish. See, if we don't give up, God will never give up on us. Same thing I tell people in the church. I've told all these years. You don't leave, I will never leave you. But I cannot stop you from leaving. Because you're all got a free will. I will try a few times and after that if you refuse to come back, then there is nothing I can do. But I don't quit on you. Because God did not quit on me. He doesn't quit on us. 
will never quit on you. Stay within that four walls. Stay there. Allow the word of God to minister to you, to get the junk off, the rubbish off, and he's allow him to rebuild you back so that you too can be a structure that God can one day be proud of and says, this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. You know, because so many servants of God do not want rubble. They don't want burnt stones. They want like, you know, because they're looking at the checkbooks. They say, you know, this man comes, that woman comes, that family comes. It's good for the church. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. Then, of course, when you come, go back to Nehemiah, okay, and uh, verse 3, there is the next man. And Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. So Tobiah and Sanballat are walking together. So my flesh is walking with the devil. And now he also starts speaking to me. He seems to be echoing the work of the voice of the devil. Whatever they build. Now he doesn't say whatever you build. They build. Okay, he never identifies with my spirit. He never identifies with the spirit or the spirit of God that is within me. Okay. The, de- the flesh is the devil's echo chamber. Okay, he echoes inside. You know, when the devil says something, the flesh says hallelujah from here. Okay. He says, hallelujah, I agree with you, I agree with you. If two of you agree on anything, it shall be done. He, 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 he also quotes scripture. That is the baya sitting over there. Whatever they build, even a fox goes upon it, he will break down their stone wall. This is, what is that? This is the condemnation that comes from the flesh. Yeah, you are like that. <laughs> I mean, a fox is a light creature. You build, you're building something over there, the flesh says, Where is it going to last? You have never done anything successfully. You are a failure. You are a failure. Now, this is not the devil speaking. This is your flesh speaking. The flesh also has a historical account. You never succeeded. You are not going to succeed this time too. Remember? So there is the devil and there is your flesh. And the flesh has an incredible record. Of your failures. The devil also has. The devil is speaking from outside. The flesh is speaking from inside. When these two come together. It is destruction. That's why God says put to death. The voices of the flesh. The the deeds of the flesh. The voices of the flesh has to be shut down. You don't listen to Tisanbalat. Or Tobiah. What will happen? Condemnation will come. And people cannot survive under condemnation. You know What does the word condemned mean? You're on death row. You're on death row. You know, people who walk under condemnation are living in death row. They have, they have no purpose. They lose purpose. They lose, you know. Marriages just exist. They are not thriving because they are on death row. The husband is condemning the wife. The wife is condemning the husband and the parents are condemning the children and it is a death row. Homes become. Churches become death row. People just sitting in the death row, just living there and slowly die. But that's not what Jesus brought. Death is brought by the devil. Life is brought by the by Jesus. So God says, be very, very careful. Be very, very careful what you listen to and what voices you echo. Okay. Because the, 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 we will say, the flesh will say. No, to Nehemiah he will say, by the way, what experience do you have in building? Are you an engineer? Hmm? All you know is how to taste wine. Hmm? 
All your life, as far as I know, the only thing you have held in your hand is a cup. A cup of wine. What are you? What are you talking about? Where did you come up with that? And the flesh starts this thing, no? What is your experience? I remember the first time I went into a classroom, my flesh was widely active, very confident about pulling me down. Where have you ever spoken in public? The only time you stuttered, you were so fearful. All your life you would never stand before people. You are a fearful creature. You never did anything at all. Now you are going to stand and teach before a set of students who are almost as old, some of them older than you. You can't do this. You can't do this. But what was the thing that was making you desperate? You wanted a salary. No. Those days it was not faith or anything. You wanted a salary and you were crying out to mercy. Lord have mercy on me. I got a job. And the money looks good. Please help me, Lord. No. You know, it will tell you. The flesh will only not talk about your qualifications, your disqualifications. No. The flesh has a resume of its own. When you are trying to do spiritual things, if you are trying to do carnal things, the flesh has a qualification. List you are very good at this. <laughs> you are the expert. You are the hand-picked one. Okay? Okay? okay. Aren't you just a cupbearer? No? What the flesh speaks? Okay, when he came to Nazareth, that is flesh and blood. What did you say? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Don't we know what is Mother Mary? No, after all, what is she? Oh, that ordinary woman. What son? How can an ordinary woman's son be a great preacher? He's not a rabbi's son. His father is a carpenter. His mother is so not some great lady in this town or not the rabbi's wife or anything. She's just an ordinary woman. How can he thrive? How can we thrive? No. And you need to realize this is so deep embedded. I've seen this in my heart. Hometown, I've seen this, okay? You have on this entire colony and you have one or two houses where people are educated and the others are all simple auto rickshaw drivers, but they all have land and they build their little houses and everything. The auto rickshaw drivers, electricians, plumber, this thing and all. But the next generation, what happens? Their children become doctors and engineers and these people can't handle it. Can't handle it. And that the racist thing, that is, you talk about in America, the this thing comes out. Castus things come out. You look down. How can? How can? Hello? Hello? The girl is a doctor. Her father is a direction driver now. What has got to do with this? You know? And we need to realize that is the whole thing. We need to realize these things will come up. These things will come up. You know? Things will come up. And we don't glory in our successor, nor are we condemned by our status. These things don't matter at all. And because in when I was young, I used to hear this. We have this lower caste. Lower, that's a term that is used. But in God's sight, there are no lower caste. Scheduled caste, as we call them. So they have to have their Mahasabha, meaning their conventions when they gather. So one of the things which used to take in the paddy fields after harvest was called Pulayar Mahasabha. Pulayar, Pulayan is a much, much lowest among them, okay? And they will call their most educated person to be the speaker. So whenever they introduced him, at least ten times through the night, you will hear so and so, double M may be a 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 double I used to wonder, what is this double M may be a double M may be a Because you know what? That is the only thing that gives him. Somebody from among us has reached this height. This height. 
Okay, because you know what? Education was captured and held by a small set of people. They would not allow the rest to be educated because education is a uh, knowledge is uh, power. Knowledge is power. Like I've said it many times, that is what happened in ancient cultures. You know what? We call it the tyranny of language. So what did they do? All sacred scriptures from which what you call um, knowledge comes in was translated into tongues which ordinary man did not understand. And they kept the scriptures with them. So Hinduism is in Sanskrit. Nobody knows it except one small set of people. Quran is in Arabic. Only small set of people can read it and understand it. One billion Muslims, 95% cannot read it. Okay, And the Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek and they turned, translated into Latin and locked up all the Hebrew and Greek texts. They won't give it to anybody. Okay, and they will kill anybody who tries to translate. You have to look William Dindale and why were they burned in the stake? Because they translated scriptures. You know, if you translate the scripture into the Norman man's, then he will have power. We will lose our power. You know how flesh fights again. That is what happened the whole four years in Washington, D.C. A commoner from outside came into our cabal. Power has been in our hands, handed from generation to generation to generation. This Washington, D.C. is ours. That's what you call the deep state. And then somebody from outside, they thought, how did he win? We had all set it up that he should lose and he won. In four years, they were after him. You know why? Because they will buy one way or other, they will hold on to the power. They could handle John the Baptist because at least his father was a priest, a Levite. But who's this dude? Carpenter. But the problem is you have no... See, John the Baptist, they listened to him though he had no miracles because he was a Levite. But when it came to Jesus, not only was the word powerful, it was left, right and center miracles and they could not handle him. And they had to kill him. If we don't kill him, we will lose our power. And they brought a righteous cause. He's troubling Israel. He's going against the laws and the customs of our country, of our religion, and told them they, he's going against political side. They said they're going against Caesar. That's how all this junk we heard this last four years. So he's this and he's that and he's this, simply because he threatened their power structure. And after his within court's loss, they were trying everything to see that he will not come back. So the impeachment failed. Now they are talking about 14th, 14th Amendment. They will come, if they don't, they'll create a new amendment if that also fails. Yeah, there is a clause in there, this thing, where you can dequalify, disqualify people holding on certain this thing. They will try all kind of things. Silence him, take him out of here. Why are they so afraid? Because it's power. It's about power. Why is Sanbalat and Tobiah, who are, why are they so upset? Because if they will lose power, they see Nehemiah, and it's not about the wall, it's not about the gates. Say they see Nehemiah as a threat to their hold of the power of the people. How do they keep the people, in, how do they hold the power? By keeping the walls down and the gates burned, by keeping them impoverished. How do socialists and communists hold power? By keeping people impoverished and feeding them crumbs, stimulus. Take it, take it, take it. Live on us. That's why all the crime-ridden poor cities in America are controlled by the Democrats. All of them. You know why? Because you need to understand. Nothing has changed. You think we are bringing politics over here. But the kingdom of God is all about politics. And the devil is a politician. Politician. 
No, he's so, he's he's the first, first fellow. He's trying to usurp God's rightful position in man's heart. And how does he do it? With first, he will try to create doubt. He will use inducement. If you eat this, contrary to what God says, you will be like God. You will be why he uses inducements. He uses doubt. He uses intimidation. He uses ridicule. He uses all this. He uses all this, and we have to fight our way through this. We have to fight our way through this and we have to fight. That's Mr. Tobaya. Right? So after Sanbalat comes Mr. Tobaya. And what does he say? Even if you build, even if a fox comes, your whole wall will crumble. But you have to turn their ridicule around and turn to God for strength and continue working. Continue working. See, when David went, when David went with bread actually and cheese to the battlefield and he heard the challenge of Goliath, David's greatest challenge did not come from Goliath. First, it came from Eliab, the ridicule from his own flesh. Second, it came from the doubt the king had on him. The king looked down upon him and exalted Goliath. He's a warrior from childhood. You are just little this thing boy. And he had to go back with his, with Eliab. What did you do? He turned away. He refused to answer his this thing. He turned away. But the king, he had to go back to the word of God and his testimony to see that I can do that. And then when Goliath comes also, it is ridicule and threats and intimidation. So patterns have been changed. It's always the change. It's always the same. So what do you need to do? What did he do? He turned to God. Hear, O God, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads. You have to turn and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Yeah? Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Okay? You have to turn back and turn to God and say, Lord, I will not listen to you. I am putting my trust in you. Okay? Trust in you. Because the enemy will attack you and people will disappoint you. But you cannot give up on this. If you understand what these walls are and what these gates are, the spiritual meaning of it, it's not physical, it is spiritual. If you understand the significance of it, it's like Winston Churchill said, never, never, never give up. You know, that's what happened to him. He was a man who lived what he says. No. He was, he, he had made a lot of money. He put all his money into the American stock exchange and he told his wife, we are settled for life. We can retire and live happily and the whole thing collapsed. He lost everything. He was absolutely back to square one. The British aristocracy and the politicians hated him so much they literally exiled him of the of the party. And then he came on a tour to to US and if you can believe of all things a horse cart hit him and he was battling death in the hospital. One after two, three. It was as if everything was over. But when the Second World War came, the same people who rejected him turned and realized he's the only one who could save him and he came back. And he came back and his most famous words was never, never, never give up. Never give up. No, he's a tough guy. Resilient guy. All these things will come. But when you know what the cause is, 
when you know what the cause is, you know, like David said, you know, in First Samuel seventeen thirty nine, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? David said, I can, oh, oh, I think maybe it's twenty nine. Twenty nine. Okay, what I have done now is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? And we need to realize, we have a cause bigger than any man can have in this life. We have a cause. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. And we have not only a cause, we also have a commission. Go to the ends of the world and make disciples of all nations. We have a cause and we have a commission and we don't. We can never, never, never give up. So the Bible says, guard your heart from the attacks of the enemy. Guard your mind from the attacks of the enemy. And if you come, you will see what happens. Chapter 4 and verse 10 of Nehemiah. Okay. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. The strength of the laborers, so much rubbish, so much rubble. You need to understand, we are not building a, the wall of Jerusalem, we are looking building the lives of people. And sometimes the strength of the people wane because they look into their lives and all they can see is junk. Every Saturday, half the questions we get is from people when they look into themselves, they start identifying themselves with the names they have been called. White trash, brown trash, black trash. They start thinking themselves as trash. Because all they can look into their life is see rubbish. And you know what happened? In our battle against sin, no, you keep falling and falling and falling and falling and falling and falling. You start giving up. Your strength starts. What's the point? What's the point? Think about an alcoholic. How many times he gave up and he goes back? A drug addict. How many times he gave? He goes back. No, whatever it is, you know. Yo, what do people say? I'm tired of fighting. They just give up. The issue is. They do not factor the rest of grace or the grace that comes from rest. Okay. What does it say? They are exhausted. They are exhausted. They are exhausted. The strength of the laborers are failing. See, you cannot build on the rubble, on rubbish. If you build on the rubbish, the walls will Fall. You don't even need a fox. All you need is a chicken. It will fall. So you cannot build without taking the rubbish out. You have to take the rubbish out. You have to take the rubbish out. Strength fails. Okay? There are many parts in this whole thing. One thing, the strength is falling. Exhaustion comes. Exhaustion comes. Okay? And we need to realize Families get exhausted. Exhausted. And exhaustion can kill life. Can kill life. And you have to watch out for those seasons in your life. One of the seasons in your life is when your children are small, they are growing before they have reached their teens. When the children are growing, you know what happens? The walls come down. And often, I've seen personally over all these years, the often, not always often, 
the fault lies with the man. The man. Because the wife, the mother is exhausted. Exhausted. We people do not realize how tiring it is to run a home. Because I have run it. I know what it is. How tiring it is to take care of children and to build a home and everything. And they get exhausted. And they get exhausted. And when they get exhausted, you know what happens? Things start falling apart. The last thing you want in your home is an unhappy wife, an unhappy mother. Because the fulcrum under which this home revolves is the wife, the mother. And you have an exhausted, tired, worn out, unhappy mother, the whole atmosphere. You see, you enter into your house and your wife is unhappy, the whole mood is gone. It doesn't matter what you did in your office. The whole thing is gone. The children are quiet, they are afraid, and the wife is this thing. The whole thing is gone. The whole thing is gone. God never said your office is a slice of heaven. No, he didn't say that. He said only your home. The only time where there is a comparison of heaven on earth is your home. It's your home. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. And you know what is happening? What happens is you have, you have exhausted laborers trying to build the walls alone. Walls alone. And they tire you. Children can tire you. Babies can tire you. Feeding and changing and then doing the housework and the cooking and this thing. It's a cycle. And you see, in the, see, Nehemiah built the wall in 52 days. But homes are built in years. And much of the work is absolutely, totally monotonous. And when you're doing it with just one hand or one person, it becomes tiring. It gets tiring. And you know, some of them just give up. They just give up. They just give up, you know. They just give up. And you don't want a wife or a mother who just gives up. Just gives up, you know. And the next, because now we have quite a few uh, wives in the church. And along with that is when your wife gets pregnant. It's labor will only come later. But she's already laboring. And you know what? You have absentee husbands who don't even understand, who don't even really care. Who don't really care. Who don't, you know. You have to be there. You have to be there. for. What does it mean to hold her hand? No, to do the work in the house. I know when my first child was con- conceived, I was working. <laughs> I used to, I had to leave by 8 o'clock in the morning and come back only by 6 o'clock in the evening. You know what? When things were bad, I did everything in the house. Everything in the house. Including the cooking, the washing, the everything, and came back in the evening and had to even... Massage the child's mother with oil because the feet are swollen. Okay. And then once a week I had a prayer meeting where I was the only one where so I cooked dinner and went for the prayer meeting and came back. But that's the only way you can hold your, hold your home together because you are co-laborers. When Christ says, I'm a co-laborer with you, he says, I never leave you. I'm taking the workload. We are yoked together. We are working together. You have exhausted men and you have exhausted wives. Exhausted men, when they come back from the office, they are tired out and then the wife tires them even more. And they have to be very, very wise. My husband really slogs for the house. He's doing 12-hour shift, two hours driving. When he comes, you know what? Yes, I had my share of troubles, but I'm still going to make my home a happy place. You know what time he's coming in? You know what? I'm going to... Now, those days, remember, we had no mobiles, no phones, no landline. Now you have everything. You know what? I'm going to send him a text through the day to keep 
him encourage. I'm praying for you. I got your back. I got your back. I'm there for you. I'm there for you. I'm praying. And when you come back, you know the time is coming back. It doesn't matter how bad your day was. Maybe your nightdress or whatever you wear at home is all soiled. You're going to change before he comes. You're going to comb your hair. When he comes, the children are all fine. You are looking good. And when he comes in, he walks in the house, his tiredness goes away. Because you know, my home is a home. It's not a house. We have exhausted men and exhausted women and unhappy children. Unhappy children. You know, then our houses become prison home, prison houses. You know, and God says, you know what, this is what is happening. The laborers are, what does it say? The laborers are, the strength of the laborers are failing. Because there is so much rubble to be. If you look around your house, there's so much work to be done. <laughs> So much work to be done. And then when your children are growing up, the mother is of course busy in the kitchen. She has to cook, right? She is busy. So you say, honey, I've come back home. Give me 10 minutes and get ready and says, come over. I'll take over the children. You do. You are free. You are free. I'll handle them. I'll play with them. I'll entertain. How many, how much time it takes? One and a half hours? Two hours? I'm good. I'm good. This is not a chore. This is a luxury. This is a privilege. This is a joy. Come around. Let us play. And again, after some time, you know what? Things are all okay. Okay, think that as they grow up, you teach them. You teach them. No, come, let us do it together. You set the table, this thing, then you wash the dishes, you dry it up. You know what? It works as a team. What are we doing? We are building the walls of salvation in our home one brick at a time, line by line. It is going up. That it doesn't matter. Our children will grow up and they will go out, but they will always remember home was a happy place. Dad was there. Mom was there. When we grew up, they were there. They were part, you know. The child will say, you know how I learned cycling? I remember my father running after me, holding both sides, wobbling, wobbling, wobbling. You know, my father taught me that. My mother taught me this, this thing. They can remember it. Most of the education is not got in schools. It's got at home. You know, that was what in Deuteronomy 6 God was talking about. Walk before them like that. Okay, that's okay, that's okay. Walk before them. Live this life before them. And you know what? Wherever, wherever these ministers failed, okay, they were successful outside, but they failed in their homes. You know, they failed in their homes. And that's what God is talking about. And what is the result of it? Who said? No, no, no. Or chapter 10. Judah said. Judah is not supposed to say that. Judah means praise. When the strength is failing, you know what? Your praise is gone. Your praise is gone. Your joy is gone. Your joy is gone. Your strength is gone. It's a circle. It's a circle. There's a spiritual strength and there's a physical strength. Physical strength can be restored with physical rest. But spiritual rest will not, will only come from joy. Only come from joy. Praise is gone. The strength is gone. You see the cycle in which they are moving? We have to be practical about these things. At the end of the day, what are we building? We are building lives and we are building homes. We are not building anything else. Okay, building. It's, what is the church? A church is a home. Church is nothing but a home. Church is nothing but a home. And how does a church become a happy home? When you have happy families. But happy families that come over there are full of rubbish. Full of rubbish. And it is not easy. It's not easy to stay there, hang in there, fight over there. No, In so many ways, it is easier to handle LHL than GSS. LHL is very easy. 
They are mentally retarded children. They are lying in their beds. What do you have to do them? Feed them, palliative care. But the other kids, <laughs> okay, when did we get them? Even morning I was texting, one of them was texting me and it is funny, you know, because we are seeing them just like our own children at every stage of their life. We are seeing them, okay, sometimes we get mad with them, we get irritated with them, but we don't give up on them. We don't give up on our own children, we don't give up on them. And we see them coming out, doing well, you know, this thing. And you know what has happened? It is not easy. Building a home or building a church is not easy. Gathering a crowd is easy. And for many people, church is just gathering a crowd. It is not building a home or a family. The problem is, we go into this battle or this building with preconceived ideas. But God says, it doesn't work that way. Go back into my word. You know who I am. I am the builder of your walls of your salvation. What am I building? I'm building a home. And the whole family on earth gets its name from God as a father. <coughs> That's what Nehemiah will say in Nehemiah 2 and verse 14. No, 414, 414, not 2414. Yeah? Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. You know what you are fighting for. If the walls go down, your homes will go. What will you have left? Left nothing. What is the point of prosperity and success without a home? Nothing, absolutely. It means nothing. It means nothing. Okay, it means nothing. So we cannot stop the mocking and the scoffers. But we can be, can choose not to be distracted by it. Okay, the devil is trying to distract you. We do not meditate on the words of men, but we meditate upon the words of God. We take their words to the Lord, leave it there, and we continue with our work of building. Okay, continue with our work of building. So we need to be very, very careful what am I building. This is an illustration of what I told is going to a construction site many years ago. So uh, he asked the first uh, laborer, what are you building? He says, I'm a bricklayer. Solemn guy. Second guy, he said, what are you? Because you couldn't make out it. Just a little wall has come pillars and this thing. So he asked the second guy, what are you building? He says, I'm building a wall. And he asked, went to the third guy and said, what are you building? He said, I'm building a cathedral. Okay. So we need to ask ourselves, what are we building? What are we building? We are not preaching a sermon. We are building a home where God can reside. Ultimately, that's what we are building. What are we building? We are not, we are not birthing children. We are raising a home where God can reside. And we are willing to battle the issues over there. So, you know, even last Sunday, the latest pregnant mom had to tell her, look her in the eye and tell her, honey, pregnancy is not a disease. You will have symptoms. It looks like a disease. Nausea, throwing up, all these things. Pregnancy is not a disease. Get that in your mind first. It's not a disease. Don't confuse the symptoms and think you are sick. You are not here. You have morning sickness, but you are not sick. You may throw up, but you have no, have no indigestion. What you have is a gift from God. The only thing God gives a married couple as a gift are the children. You have a gift. Value it. Cherish it. Cherish it. Cherish it. 
be happy. With your sickness, be happy. You will have a happy child. You will have a child. Tell the man, see that she is happy. Take care of her. See that she is happy. Take care of her. There will be times you will be, you may be worked out. Yes, but take care. You know why? Because we are building a home. We are building a home. So in the church, there are three kinds of people. There are lambs. A lamb may be 60 years old, just saved. There may be sheep and they may be goats. And we don't kick the goats out. We are trying to change the goats into sheep. Okay. And if they go by their own, that is fine. And that is what God looked at David and he said, you know what? He's not a shepherd. Look at his tenderness. Look at his tenderness with which he is handling people. Look at him. You know, that is the key. You know, that is the key. That's why, uh, people get upset with Paul sometimes. He says, what does this man know? He never got married and all. But if you look at his tenderness for his sheep, you will know that he was kinder than an actual father. He was really kind. He had a tender heart. In the initial ages, of course, he was very, very zealous. But he was a very tender person with his church. He never had, he probably never had a family. You know, so they will bring that. He was a bachelor, therefore he's a misogynist and all that. He was not. He was not. Okay. So God looks at all these things and he says, what is the answer? What is the conclusion? What is the answer? It's what Nehemiah said. Right? The good hand of the Lord is, you have to always go up. Who started it? Who started it? God started my life, no? How did I, how did I even start into this, this journey? Like, like, you know, in your marriage. If you were a believer and you married a believer, then you know God started it. If you are a bachelor and you are in the house of God, you know God started a work in you and he's faithful to complete it. The Bible is very clear. So don't go into the world. Go into your heart and look. How did I start my life? Started with God. If he started with God, it will finish with God. If it started at the sheep gate, it will come a full circle back to the sheep gate. He's faithful to complete it. I'm married my wife is a believer. Who started it? He started it. Therefore, you know what? The hand of God is with me for this purpose. Okay? And God touched my wife's womb. I have a child. That's what I said. Children are legitimate. You have only illegitimate parents. There are no illegitimate children. You know, every day I, mean, I look forward to actually, you know, I have to wait till I can go home. Because I cannot go home like when I go. You know, it doesn't matter. You know? My wife will call and say, uh, honey, you can come home. And I'm going for my shower. So I said, okay, 15 minutes. It, it gets me to pack and I'll be there. And who's sitting there? My little city. Is she my child? No. So I had my children, then I had my Madhulika, now I have my little Siri sitting there with my chapels over there by this day. The first thing she says is, Grandpa, I did my memory words. And I can say, which one did you learn? Psalm 23. So yesterday I said, slowly, slowly, Psalm 23 is such a, such a glorious Psalm. Don't rattle it fast. Slowly chew on it. And she was very happy. Very happy. And then sit. You know, everything we do together. And I wash all the dishes, but the last two dishes I leave it for her because she likes to do the last part. Okay. And then I said, and I start put off, while we are going, I put off the front light. She will say, Grandma, Grandma, wait for me, wait for me. I haven't put off the light in the kitchen. Then we all go up together. You know, son, anybody's child is your child. It does not matter. A child, I said, I said, she's not an illegitimate child. Who are her parents were who abandoned her illegitimate? She's legit. She's absolutely legit. 
you know so we need to realize and look at all these things whether it is a job you started a job and you prayed god opened a door who took you there god took you there he will keep you there and if you have to move he will open other door for you that is what the work that he has started he will finish it the good hand of the lord so you are intimidated you are fearful you are ridiculed you are mocked what is god's solution the same as usual john chapter 20 verse 19 the same day at evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the jews jesus came stood in the midst and said to them peace be with you the only answer is god they are afraid they have been mocked they have been ridiculed they must have said that they don't even want to face the crowd you guys leave up your career to follow this dude right where is he where is he where is your messiah there is not only fear mockery ridicule everything sanbalars and tobeas are jumping even their own flesh is starting to talk to them what did we do yeah we loved him he was such a nice guy we never met anybody like that absolutely but he's dead but he's dead they have no even judas agreed okay betrayed in a certain blood about his character love his kindness his compassion nobody has any question the problem is he's dead Okay, so what is the answer? Jesus comes into our midst, and what does He do? Verse twenty-two. This is the answer. When your strength is waning and there is so much rubble, you need a fresh breath, a fresh breath of the Holy Spirit. That's God's answer. That is God's answer. Lord, breathe on me this morning, Lord. Breathe on me, Lord. I need a fresh breath of the Holy Spirit, Lord, so that I will. get my strength back and start building again i will not give up because this is one thing i cannot give up on i cannot give up on building on my home i cannot give up building on my children we cannot give up building on our church okay yes more troubled ones will come that's okay you are in a safe place we don't harm you you are in a safe place we take care of you okay the word may sound hard but it is good for you it's not bad for you and after that we are there for you we are there for you the good hand of the lord robert remember nehemiah say ezekiel chapter 37 and verse 1 the hand of the lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the lord what is the hand of the lord there are two constructions in the word of god there is god and there is the word of god that is jesus and then there is the hand of god which is the holy spirit god does everything through his word and through his power one is jesus the other is the holy spirit that is why jesus had to wait until he was endued with the power the hand of the lord over there is the spirit of god and that's god's solution these two usages remember we need a breath a fresh whip of of the holy spirit in first kings chapter 18 and verse 46 1846 the bible says then the hand of the lord came upon elijah he already had the word he was full of the power of the word he already had the word and he had proved the word and god proved his word was true but now he needed power more power than he had experienced all his life and the power of the holy spirit came he girded up his loins and he ran we need both in our lives we need to be fortified with the word of god 
and we need to be empowered by the hand of God. Okay? Listen to Paul as we come to the conclusion. First hmm? Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 to 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you to the testimony of God. Now, if you look at him, what did he have? He had that, like Moses. He was a, he was a scholar in Hebrew, under Gamaliel, learned man. But he said, I did not come that way. I did not come back. Come, come back. I did not rely on Tobiah or Sanballat. Or any of these things to come to you. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. What is he talking about? He said, I could have dazzled you with the interpretation of Scripture, but it would have done you no good. I needed God to come. I could have interpreted the Torah word by word and line by line. This mantra there, that mantra there, I could have done it. I learned it all, but I put it aside. I did not want to know anything except Christ. I did not want to come in my strength. I wanted to come in the strength of Jesus Christ. I was with you in weakness. Suddenly he realized he was weak. If you asked him to give a scholarly discourse in in Hebrew and Greek, he would have done it. But when he asked, asked to preach Christ Jesus, he needed Christ. In fear, in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? For the kingdom, your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In the power of God. That's Nehemiah. Nehemiah. You know? Nehemiah has come with letters. He's got a royal escort. He's got a company, so when he has to come that way, it's not a small company, it's a large company has escorted him. But he's not using their strength or anything. He's using the simple people of Jerusalem and come. The despise, the reproach of Jerusalem, come. Let us rise up and rebuild. The rich, the powerful, he kept them out. The flesh, the world, he kept them out. Said, Let us use this. This is the rubble, the trash, the refuse of Jerusalem. We remove the physical refuse and let us start building the kingdom. Why? Because the good hand of God is upon us. And God picked up 12 refuse from the streets of Jerusalem, whom nobody had picked. For ministry, they were good fishermen and all that. But for ministry, nobody would have picked them up. Now they were ridiculed, they were mocked, they were fearful. And Jesus, you know what he did? He breathed his spirit upon them. Breathed his spirit upon them. And he says, as the Father sent me, I sent you. Go. That's what we need every day. It's not just one in a time. Every day, that's what we need. The day, every day when you wake up, the devil mocks you. He threatens you. He intimidates you. No, He intimidates you. Okay. What do you do? You wake up in the morning and say, Lord, breathe on me. Breathe on me. Okay. In verse 23, 24, he will say, as the Father sent me, I sent you. Right? Yeah, go to 24. Mm -hmm. No, no, you went, uh, you went, uh, okay. Yeah. 
Lord, have you have you missed it? You we you we jumped the gun, went far ahead. Let me give it one second. Twenty-one, twenty-one, twenty-one. Yeah, twenty-one. So Jesus said to them, "Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also sent you." And saying that, He breathed upon us. Okay, and we need to realize we have the same Father. We don't have a different father. How do you go to work? Husbands, Lord, breathe upon me. How do you go to work? Mothers, breathe upon me. How do you send your children out to school? Breathe upon them. As the Father said, the Spirit of God will keep us. But fortify them with the Word of God. And build. Remember, building is a team effort. God has never asked you to build your life on your own. Ask you to build it with Him. He has not asked you to one person to single-handedly build the house. He says, no, you work it together as a team. The whole family gets involved. And then the church, everybody gets involved. We have different departments. Everybody is faithful. And what are we doing? We are building a place, ultimately, where God is welcome. Okay, my life, God should be welcome and comfortable. Two, your and my home, God should be welcome and comfortable. Three, our church. God should be built. We can't build the nation. We are not nation builders. We are kingdom builders. If we build the kingdom, the nation will take care of itself. Take care of itself. Restoration comes from the church. God doesn't restore a nation. He restores the church. Restores the church. When the church is restored, the nation is restored. There is no restoration of God in any nation outside the church. He doesn't do that. He has only one entity on earth where he has put his name. That is the church. Amen. We shall pray. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I come at this day, this time into thy hands. We thank you for bringing us thus far. Your children in one part of the globe are going into sleep. And I pray your hand would be there upon them. The hand of God. Breathe upon them, Spirit of God. Breathe. Breathe, Lord. Let nobody's strength wane. Let nobody's strength give up, give away, and they give up. Breathe upon them, Spirit of God. Let them shake off the spirit of despondency and discouragement and depression. For you have not given us that spirit. Let them put on the garments of praise. For Judah cannot say, my strength laborers are tired. We can never get tired taking this rubbish out of our lives. For you said in your word, you have not come to the point of shedding blood in this battle. We cannot. The walls of salvation have to be built. Otherwise our lives, our homes and our children will be prey for the enemy. We have to fortify them with your word, with your love, with your kindness, with your compassion, with your mercies, without condemnation, that they will grow up like trees planted by the waters. They will be safe to go out and to come in because they know they are secure in their father's hands, that no one can pluck us from our father's hands. Breathe upon your people, Lord. Breathe upon your people. Let their strength come back. Let lives be rebuilt, homes be rebuilt, and churches be rebuilt. Because this is the time of revival. 
Yes, Sanbalat asked that question. Can these stones revive themselves? Burn stones? Yes, they can. When God breathes, stones will praise. Dead bones will come back and stand on their feet like a mighty army. When God's spirit moves, the impossible becomes possible. So we pray, Father, move over your people. Breathe over your people. Strengthen and comfort your people. Let them lift up feeble hands and strengthen their weak knees and let them get back into this work, Lord. For you are with us and you are for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Speak your peace and speak your rest. So many need rest, Lord. Wives need rest. And I pray the husbands will give them rest. Take over the burden. Say, today is your day of rest. Don't do anything. I'm doing everything today. Husbands need rest. That when they come back home after a tired day's work, they will find home a restful and a happy place. Children need rest. They don't need to work all the time. They need to have fun. Because there's only one age where you can have fun and innocence together. Later we will have fun without innocence, which will always bring a life of guilt. But now is the age where they, you have given them innocence. Let it be full of fun, Lord. Let them enjoy those years. And never, never a page taken away from that years, Lord. Let the, our homes and our church be happy homes. Happy homes, Lord. Because one day, when we are with you, every day will be full of fun. Happy home it will be. The one true happy home it will be. But we can have a slice of heaven on earth. And I pray our church will be a happy home where the broken, the blind, the abused will find a safe place where they will know they are loved and they are taken care of. For God is in our midst. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.